0: okay everybody welcome to the mind hunter companion uh my co-host is peter i am doug and we are up to season one episode five welcome doug welcome i i thought this was a very good episode like i felt like this episode like the wind was in their sails again and the, the whole sort of pacing uh, and portrayal of the episode kind of worked a lot better. This, all, this episode has a different director than the prior two. This is Tobias Lindholm, and also has uh, a different writer. This is written by Jennifer Haley, who is actually a playwright, interestingly. Hmm. Um, and we begin with the ever-present Dennis Rader, uh, who is shown mailing a letter. Uh, conspicuously wearing gloves yeah. uh, to hide his fingerprints from the letter. And you know, and we know that in real life, uh, Dennis Rader, the BTK bind, torture, kill, killer, uh, was in communication with police and media outlets about his crime. So I think the implication is that he's starting to uh, crave a little attention. Yeah. Um, and then we, we quickly shift back to uh altoona right where the the hunt for beverly jeans killer continues and we meet benjamin known as benji
1: uh, ostensibly beverly jeans fiance right and um you know uh tension um and holden the an officer okay yeah and, and and the two fbi men are Init- just immediately suspicious of him just by the fact that he's her fiance
0: right like she's you know we don't know anything about her except we see this very pretty photo of her up on the wall yeah um and and then we meet we meet Benji who's um how do I say this politely? He's sort of a, a milky toast guy, shall we say. He's a dweeb, big time. <laughs> I don't know. That's a, that's a different kind of word for me. I don't know. Like, he's just, I don't know. He, he spends the entire meeting crying, but he cries in a way that puts Bill and Holden off. Yeah. Right. He, like, there's something not right about it. And Bill, Bill openly states that he believes that Benji is faking. Yeah. Uh, and they they kind of can't really believe that that's sort of like a uh, um, well. To, I'll put it this way: uh, in his in Mind Hunter, um, John Douglas refers to to the fiance. He has a different name in real life, but John Douglas refers to him as a twerp. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they just sort of can't believe that this guy is able to get this pretty blonde to agree to be his
1: fiance. Yeah and and they start to basically investigate more right and then this this is sort of like
0: refocusing the case on beverly like who did beverly know who was around her let's not focus on a drifter or people who didn't really know her right who was around her who
1: was with her every day right and and of note uh you know the holden and bill told the local cop to that they wanted to see him sort of without preparation but because he he feels the local cop feels so sympathetic to Benji. Um and he really sort of the, the crying really disturbs him, you know? <laughs> so he and he, right. he thinks, you know, this guy has experienced such a terrible loss that he basically gives them a heads up that they're coming over. So he's standing there on the porch waiting for them when they get there. And the the, the FBI right. guys right. are very, very annoyed by that <laughs> because they don't they want to see what he's like. With you know, with no preparation,
0: right? He's he's certainly now had time to practice and rehearse anything he wants to say. And and, get, you know, get donuts. Some donuts, yeah. right? He brings them donuts, and they just like, oh fuck, like, yeah. <laughs> what doesn't he say? Like glazed or cake or yeah. something? Yeah, he offers them a selection of donuts to choose from. Yep. <laughs> you know, and it just it implies that that Benji has had time to set the stage. Oh yeah, right, and present things the way he wants to present them. And you know, it's funny because the donuts kind of put them off as much as the crying. Like, you know, you could tell that Bill and Holden are like, you know, these are things a woman would do, right? All this sort of open crying or like she has pastries laid out for them. Like like it just it just rings
1: off to them the whole yep. way. Yeah, two different kinds of donuts and what kind of drink they want. It, they they feel like it's very tailored and carefully planned. Um, right. They um
0: they then go on to meet Benji's mother, uh, who cries as well. So <laughs> like, I feel like the apple didn't really fall far from the right. tree in this case. Um, and then they learn about Benji's sister's boyfriend, Frank. Benji's sister's boyfriend. Frank husband right? he maybe has a history uh, with the law. Right. Well, I guess he was the boyfriend in the past, Yeah, but there's a great scene before they go and they meet Frank that I think for me is the best scene in the episode where uh, Bill, you know, they walk out of meeting the mother and uh O'Kasik, the local cop again, brings up the drifter theory and Bill has just had it. And Bill, like very aggressively kind of, kind of quashes all this talk, basically pointing out how the the drifter idea is stupid. Doesn't make sense, and everything points to someone's local. And when Ocasik challenges him on it, Bill shuts him down, and he says, "How would a drifter know where the dump is?" Yeah,
1: he says, and then, "Yeah, right." How would he know? And and like, why would a guy a guy can go to a city where there are tons of people wandering around on the sidewalk? There's somebody in every corner. Why would they come to a right. little tiny village like this? Rust Belt town, he yeah. calls it. Like he insults the town to Ocasik,
0: right? That he lives in love. Right. He basically calls
1: the shithole. Right. But he, but it, it all makes sense he's very logical you know so bill's argument is is uh is very sound
0: but this is when bill finally gets through to okasek yeah and and after this okasek no longer mentions the drifter theory like like he is forced to admit that the killer is in the town, and and is very likely someone he knows. It's right? someone he goes and, to and church awful. with. Yep. Right, and that's a hard realization for him because it's not a monster, right? It's someone that he knows every day, right? Right. And he thinks is a regular person. <laughs> but I, you know, it's it's funny because Bill or Holt McCallany, the actor, I mean, he steals. I think like that episode, that scene kind of makes the episode for me. Yeah. Like, and a lot of these shows are built around Holden getting all the best scenes, but in this episode. Um, it's really it's Bill who gets that scene. And Holden is basically wordless in that scene, letting letting Bill just kind of rip Ocasic apart and his theory apart, just to finally get through to him.
1: Yeah, and it, it again echoes the theme of the, the whole series that that these are not normal crimes. Um these people are not normal criminals, and they're trying to understand their their motivation. It's not purely based on uh on normal motivations and so, you know, you have to think about it in a different way. And,
0: Right, which brings us, it's it's a perfect segue that you just made, because it brings us back to the show, because now we cut back to them with Wendy, right? They're back at Quantico with Wendy, and Wendy is starting to make interview questions for them. And Bill pushes back on this, and he's like, no, 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 you got to let us have free flow interviews. And she says, no, you have to ask them all the same questions so we can create a data set. She's like, you can ask the other questions, too but you got to stick to the questionnaire sort of once again, showing that she brings the order and she brings the structure to the work. Right. Right. And they're able to carry it out, but you know, their big innovation so far, you know, the idea of going to talk to them, I believe is Holden's, but you know, she's the one who says record the interviews, transcribe the interviews, you know, have set questions in advance. Like she's all the structure. Yeah. And she makes the interesting point, right? They talk about the interview, uh, with uh, with Benji, um, I like the way that they gave him the sort of the diminutive name, uh, and you know, and they talk about the crying, and she points out that you know psychopaths can imitate emotions very well, yes, right, and maybe maybe he's able to do this crying even though he doesn't feel anything inside, right? He's able to sort of
1: pull it off, right? Sympathy can be useful.
0: Um, and then we transition to a, a good scene that's very telling for both what it shows, I think, and it doesn't show. Right. So then Wendy has to uh, leave to catch a flight back to Boston. And, you know, as I said, like Bill, Bill doesn't, he's not really thinking about her. Bill's like, bye. Yeah. You know, and Holden offers to drive her to the airport, right? They cancel her cab and he drives her to the airport. And this scene, by the way, is done. In a, in a, it's kind of done in a tense way like they're talking about Benji crying and how it made Holden feel but the camera in the car recreates the camera view right before the car accident right where the camera's fixed 90 degrees you're looking uh, transversely across the front seat either at Holden or Wendy and the world is passing by by the window in a blur behind them like you know I knew they weren't going to have an accident two episodes in a row but you know, it creates a sort of sense of dread a little bit because you can't really see what's around them or what's coming, right? As opposed to if the camera was behind them and you were looking out the front window. Yeah, Like, it's, it's funny because it's just a drive to the airport, but that scene is tense. The scene, I think, is also tense because, you know, it's implied maybe that Holden might be a little smitten with Wendy. Sure, And, and you know, she doesn't respond at all. Right, yeah. And we, we are soon to find out why, but I don't think Holden's figured it out at this point, no. right? And, and I wonder if Debbie figured it out in episode four, right, when they were at dinner. Hmm.
1: Why she put a hand on Debbie's knee?
0: <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, if Debbie's character figured it out but hasn't said anything yet. Yeah. Um, and then they, they sort of openly wonder, like, could Benji be a psychopath? Although Holden does acknowledge that the crying didn't sit right with him and it upset him
1: yeah that that's that's a good point she again uh, wendy figures sort of brings that leads him to that point to realize that and
0: and 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 wendy also sort of says to him that he should look deeper into his own like feelings and motivations as to why why the crying upset him so much. Like, like Holden's like, he says something like, well, maybe I'm just a jerk or something like that. He makes some sort of offhand comment to to explain why the crying upset him. And she's like, no, no, there's something else here. Like, seeing that man cry bugged you on a deeper level. And then I love when they get to the airport. Um, a, there's no security. He walks right to the gate with her. Yep. Just like how it used to be, and also is she walks onto the plane without a backwards glance? Yeah,
1: you
0: know, like, like that's it. She's she's a little icy, right? And because you could tell she's starting to get nervous, right, about revealing things about herself, right, or she's she doesn't know how to respond to him, right? Because he's clearly being friendly to her, yeah. Right, and she just walks onto the plane, um. A little more foreshadowing there. Um, he then visits Debbie, who's on amphetamines,
1: right? Writing a paper, she's pulling an all nighter, she's right. She's on
0: amphetamines, smoking and drinking coffee, yeah, <laughs> all at once. It's like, wow, yep, her typewriter, <laughs> she's got to drive those pineapples, to Hawaii, <laughs> think, man. right?
1: Robin Williams,
0: <laughs> um, and uh, he kind of Without without acknowledging that he's doing it, he parrots Wendy. Like he says Wendy's thoughts to Debbie as if they were her own as as if they were his own to make himself look a little smarter. Like some of her comments about the case, he just steals and doesn't credit her, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um and then uh they get into kind of a, a, a sort of a s a low-level fight where he He's talking about how maybe Beverly Jean was promiscuous and how that rubbed Benji the wrong way which then segues into him trying to figure out how many prior sexual partners uh, Debbie's had which does not go over well. Right. She does she doesn't want to go there and he pushes the issue. Yeah. Right. And it's a it's it's, it's obvious from their first meeting that she's way more experienced than he is even though he's shown not to be, you know, a virgin when they meet. Um, but you know, he, he keeps pushing her like how she had 10 partners, which for him is an important number. Um, maybe that's when she becomes loose or a slut in his mind or something, but she won't answer and she sort of walks out of the room on him and he's basically stymied. It's a good bit because it shows how maybe he's not so different than Benji. Like maybe he could be roused to be upset, right. By some of the same things as Benji. Right. You
1: know, everybody's like Debbie was, everybody's a little nutsy. right?
0: right. And Debbie's promiscuous by Altuna standards, right? Yeah, we don't know what we don't know. We don't know what Debbie's number is, um, but we know Holden's is low, right? Right, and we know Debbie's is certainly higher. But uh, it's 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 a good bit because, like, it's kind of that whole sequence is sort of showing Holden. I think in kind of at his worst like he's he's kind of trying to be friendly to Wendy not picking up on her clues he's kind of a jerk to Debbie he's shown to be maybe in some ways you know a little bit like Benji like it's not a good 10 or 15 minutes of this show for Holden like he's not he's not coming off very well
1: Right. he's human
0: right and it's probably not a good idea to argue with your girlfriend when she's high on speed right <laughs> Trying to get her paper done. A, what was her paper on again? I can't remember. I don't know some sociology thing. Um, what was I going to say? And then uh we shift back to uh Altoona, and we find out that Benji's sister's husband Frank. Right now, we're back to the hunt for the killer of Beverly Jean. Right, once hit a girl with a wrench. Yep. Yeah. Right, and they interview Frank. Of a very interested to see Frank did you ever see um, Napoleon Dynamite sure because Frank looks very much like uh, the, the guy in Napoleon Dynamite who's always yeah he's always throwing the football the uncle, like, I look yeah. up and see if it's the same actor but like man he looks like that guy
1: <laughs> I don't think it's the same actor but you're right
0: <laughs> I don't think so either but it's sort of a similar similar you know like the hair parted down the middle like we all had by the way um, except Frank so sort of like a similar look. Frank's
1: not funny that's the only no, difference,
0: no. right? Yeah, no. Frank's about as uh, he's about as funny as a cold sore. Yeah, um, and and you know, Frank Frank kind of gives as as good as he gets. Like he's pretty tough with them when they sit down with with Frank, the two FBI men uh, and Officer O'Kasik. Uh, You know, like he they they know that he was in a mental institution because they got his juvenile record unsealed through some uh, probably illegal means yeah. and they get him to talk about how, you know, he ended up in a, in a psych hospital uh, for a while. And he basically is able to, to blow it all off and basically say like, look, I was wild when I was a kid. Now I'm, I'm married and I got a kid and I'm, I'm more stable now. And you're not going to pin this on me. Yeah.
1: But he's sure. Right. Was, he realizes he that was. they're
0: suddenly trying to frame him as the killer.
1: Yep. But,
0: right. And he pushes back hard.
1: Yeah. And and he, he's sort of, he clearly goes around and he tries to pick up women and he, he really looks suspicious as, as they talk to him. Frank. Frank. Right.
0: And, and Frank also gives them an important piece of information because Benji told them in uh, earlier on that they were engaged. Right. And and Frank kind of implies that maybe they weren't engaged and that she had other partners. And maybe the situation is more complicated, right? Because, you know, when we first met Benji, he sort of paints this picture of like, look, I bought us this house and we're going to live together and, you know, we're going to be married. and It's great. And then, you know, when you get this additional information out of Frank, the implication is maybe things aren't so great. Maybe they weren't going to live together. Maybe he was jilted. Like all of a sudden right? Or there was trouble there or she wasn't planning to move in. Like all of a sudden they have a million questions for Benji. And you could tell they kind of come out of the meeting with Frank, not sure that they've got the right guy. Like they were all excited to meet him and they walk out of the meeting kind of thinking about Benji again.
1: I don't know. I kind of felt like, uh, you know, Frank is very dismissive of Benji. He basically, uh, you know, milk toast. I don't even think that uh, I think that's not even strong enough. I mean, he really thinks Benji is is a worm, um, and and uh, <laughs> oh, and I, I, I kind of got the feeling that that Frank it made Frank look more like he was involved or that he did it because he you you could think that you know that that the girl he doesn't deserve the girl and maybe Frank should be the one and then maybe they had some kind of conflict or Frank is. Has a, you know, he has a violent history and maybe he sneaks around at night uh, and this isn't, you know, he's he's done this before. And maybe Frank, they're just stumbling on him. Um, I, I, I was very suspicious of Frank after that, after their interview.
0: Well, and Frank kind of comes off like he thinks of himself as sort of
1: like a man's man. Yeah, he's you know? pretty self-confident, Frank.
0: And and he, and he lo- you
1: could tell he looks down on Benji, like he thinks Benji's a wuss. Oh, it's totally dismissive of him. And then, but then they go, they go talk to Frank's wife, Benji's sister, Rose. Um, and then things change again. Who looks rough, by the way? She looks right? tired, and she's got bruises on bruises on her arm, and she's right that she she hiding. does a bad job of hiding. And the house is dumpy. She looks kind of kind of gray, pale, tired.
0: She's sort of, you know, she's reminiscent of um, In Silence of the Lambs when uh, when Clarice goes to Belvedere, Ohio, and she interviews uh, Frederica Bimmel's friend, right, who's supposed to be you know, pretty by small town standards, but looks really rough the same way. Like, it reminded me of that scene where Clarice meets the friend who talks about how, like, you know, Frederica wanted to work in a bank because she thought that was a glamorous job. Yeah. Right. And again, it's just, it's meant to sort of show, like, poor whites, right, living in crappy circumstances. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they meet Rose, and then Rose... Uh, well, actually, you know what? Before they got to Rose, hang on, they do go back to Benji. Um, right. And Benji does admit that she did have other partners, right? And maybe he was jealous of Frank, right? Yeah. A little bit. And and he the way that he would sort of call her Han or sweetheart, get me a beer and things like that. And maybe there was some friction between Benji and Frank. And he once
1: again cries. And then they go and talk to Rose. Right. And And then, you know, I'm really wondering at that point. That Frank sounds you know Frank sounds looks pretty good for involvement <laughs> you know right and then they go talk to right. Rose and Rose gives the impression she's really hiding something
0: right and, and you know what's interesting is I don't know if you noticed this but Holden follows uh Debbie's advice Um, you know Debbie a couple of episodes back Debbie advised Holden a little bit on how to seduce the people that he's talking to and Holden conspicuously mimics Rose's posture. Hmm. Like he watches how she moves her arms to sort of cross her arms and cover the bruise. And then there's a shot of Holden doing the exact same thing. And he sort of sits up and leans the same way she's leaning. Um, So I think it's implied that, you know, Holden is trying what Debbie told him, right. To see if they can get more out of her. Um, And then uh, there's a great bit where, Officer Ocasek kind of earns his salary yep. where he pulls her aside as they're leaving. And he basically says like, if the, you know something and you're not telling us, you know, it won't go well for
1: you or your baby. Yeah. The feds are going right? to, the feds are going to find out and it's not going to go well with them, but I I'll help protect you. I'll protect the kid. If you know, you know, I'm on your side. You know, and in
0: real life, in the in the real case, um the the Benji and Frank characters in real in real life uh worked as trash haulers, I think. Hmm. So they had knowledge and access at the dump. Hmm. So that was for them in real life, that was a big uh even more suspicious in yeah. life. So and then
1: uh Rose appears at the police station. Yeah, it's not long after that. So, yeah, officer Case, like he he got through to her.
0: And then she she tells a super disturbing story. Yeah, you know, right? I mean, she, do you want to recount it? She, she tells, she essentially spills the beans on the whole deal. Yeah.
1: She shows up and basically just exactly, she tells the whole story and she, Frank was gone. And in the middle of the night, Frank calls and says, come to Benji's house and bring cleaning supplies. And, um, she goes there and Frank's down there and he basically says, um, that Beverly Jean is dead upstairs. She's in the tub. She's in the tub, and um, it's her. And Benji killed her. And Frank basically. Well, no, she doesn't say not that initially, right? Well, she doesn't say that at all, right?
0: She there they just say that she's dead, right? And uh, and then
1: she goes up and go sees ahead. her. She there's blood everywhere. She says, and she's dead in the tub. And Frank says that she cleans up the house, and Benji and Frank take and dispose of the body. And Frank says, tells her that, you know, he has to help Benji, doesn't he? Isn't that what he says? He basically yeah, says, yeah, like, he,
0: press- he says, We have to help him. It's
1: her brother. Yeah, we have to help him because he's going to, you know, he's going to go down.
0: And the episode ends. Uh, very abruptly, in, in a way that they don't usually end the, the episodes, as they say to her, who killed her? And she looks at the camera and says, I don't know. And the episode ends very abruptly there. Yeah. Right. So we're still left wondering, was it Benji? Was it Frank?
1: Right? What happened? Didn't they somehow, at some point, imply that Benji did it?
0: Uh, in this episode, well, In this episode, it ends with just the I don't know comment. Okay. Um, so I think that, you know, it's left a little bit, uh, you know, was it Benji or did Frank get there and she was still alive and he finished it? Like, you don't know, right. Because Benji calls Frank, right. Mm-hmm. To come over and help him. So we don't actually, uh, you know, at this point we don't actually know, okay. you know, what's interesting is in real life, you know, like Frank looks a little bit older, yeah. uh, but in real life, like the the people that Benji Frank and Rose are based on are very young they're like 22 24 years old yeah. in real life like when this actually happened like that's kind of one of the crazy things is how young they all were yeah you know getting into this kind of trouble but uh but i i just to sort of go back to what i was saying at the beginning of the podcast i thought this was a super strong episode um and it moved fast for me um it's it's they the cuts back and forth between Altoona, Wendy, Debbie, right? Everything sort of hangs together. Uh I don't know. I just thought it was great. Yeah. mean um, it's interesting. Uh, I'm trying to find out who played Officer Ocasic, because he was really good. He was really good. Here, yeah, let's see. Yeah, I'm just trying, I'm just looking really quick to see if I can figure out who played him. But that guy did a great job. Hmm. Here, wait, I'm going on IMDB really fast to see if I can figure plenty. out. Plenty. There are plenty
1: of great actors uh, in the series.
0: He's For played sure. by a guy named Alex Morph, M-O-R-F. And he's he's done a ton of TV. He's uh he's got a bunch of episodes of Mindhunter, like we talked about. He's mostly done TV, but man is he good and he's such a good counterpoint for for holden and bill and in some ways like he's supposed to be like holden and bill were a few episodes ago you know like he wants to he wants to catch the criminal but he's you know he's he doesn't know and and bill and holden have just a little bit more information than him and it gets them really far but he also is able to sort of soak it up just from being around them yeah you know like he uh he gets uh he gets an education from these two guys really fast. But uh at, but if you're out there, Alex Morph and you're listening, holy crap, were you good in Mindhunter? Yeah. Especially season one, episode five. Um and the you know, the guy who plays Benji is good, the guy who plays Frank is good. Yeah. You know, um it's you know they're there, these are you know you could imagine like when you're an actor like you want to play the hero like it's i'm sure it's weird to be asked to play you know like the crying you know the crying jilted fiance but you know they they do a really good job of that one
1: yeah that must have been tough if they did like 20 takes
0: yeah yeah you got to be able to cry on command yeah not just a <laughs> little tear
1: you know that's going to be rough yeah he's good yeah
0: but uh but, um, you know, it shows you how, and again, I'm not an actor and I've never acted in anything in my life. I'm just some, you know, schmuck who has a podcast with you. But, you know, it shows you like how acting is really a skill. And like, if you, you know, like, a, like if you can, you know, if you have talent, like you can really do a lot with a small amount, you know, like, okay, six you know, or or Benji's scenes are probably just a few minutes, you know, probably 20, 25 minutes spread over a few episodes, but it's really very
1: memorable. Yeah. They find skilled people and they bring the ring of truth to a few minutes and a relatively short relationship that you have on screen as a viewer with that character, but they bring authenticity to it in a way that you're completely drawn in and convinced. And the woman who plays Rose too, you
0: know, she's very convincing. Like she looks like she was malnourished to begin with. And then she had this kid and she's not sleeping anymore.
1: She looks sleep deprived.
0: Yeah, I know they, they do a good job. Like she does a good job acting and they, she does a good job with her makeup too. You know, like they just make her look all kind of worn out. It's good. Like, I don't know. I thought this was a great episode. Like this is a, for me, a big step back upwards after, after episode four. <clears throat> um, but, you know, it, it also shows, too, like, like the way that like the case isn't solved right away. Like, I like the way that they have to go to Altoona a couple of times. They got to meet with people. They got to think about stuff. They got to cross-reference stuff. They have to illegally access Frank's juvenile criminal records, like their path to the resolution or the or the, the answer to who done it is not so straightforward. And that's interesting to me,
1: you know, right. Right, that's and that's they're always balancing that. It's that's, that's an involved detective story that spills out over a few episodes, and you know they're balancing that with the other elements of the story.
0: And you know, it it reminds me of how Douglas himself in the in the Mindhunter books, he says this. I think in almost all the books, but he he talks about how like he thought that they got about ten or fifteen percent of them. Like he thought that that was their actual capture rate. He said like too many of the crimes went unreported or they couldn't find the right people or they couldn't, you know, like they couldn't solve it, you know, and like TV kind of often makes it sound like everybody, every crime can be solved in a 30 minute show. Yeah. But you know, like Douglas talks a lot about how he thought that they missed a bunch. And like, like he said that a lot of times things would just stop and either they got it out of their system, like whatever was driving them to do this, To do these crimes, you know, they got it out of their system by doing it, or maybe they died, or they were arrested for another crime, and they were in jail for something else. But he said a lot of times they just couldn't solve it. Like, he talks, I think he has a whole book that's called The Cases That Haunt Us. I might be mixing that up, but I think that's what it's called, where he talks about the ones they didn't solve, Mm -hmm is interesting he talks a lot about the zodiac like i think he really regrets not finding the zodiac killer
1: well you know they only found the uh they only found the caught the ones who had a blue or a black van i mean all the guys that had a white van (laughs) right the panel van all the white van guys got away
0: Yeah, he always talks about the van as like the 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 prize car of the serial killer because it was like a room on wheels and you could do
1: stuff. Well, I mean, I remember you and I were kind of joking about that when even we read the books back years ago um, that he would talk about this a profile because he goes over a lot of cases in those books and he the profiles a lot of them are a little bit there's some overlap let's say that and the, the, one of the main items of overlap was you know a van blue or black you know right
0: well you know did you ever read any of um lawrence block's crime books
1: um, I the name's familiar. So, what what did he write? He writes
0: about the alcoholic detective uh, Matt Scudder, but uh, in in some of the Lawrence Block books, like the, the books are like he's like an ex detective who's now a private eye, and the books are really about alcoholism because the characters are drunk. But but uh, like the the panel van is a frequent uh, a frequent element in the Lawrence Block books. Yeah. Um. You know, like. You can abduct somebody, you have a space to do something with them, right? It, there's no windows, you're totally hidden, right? Like the the van is appealing to a lot of criminal enterprises. Right. By the way, we should we should do a podcast over at Popcorn Drink Combo about a walk among the tombstones, which is pretty solid. Hmm. It's with Liam Neeson, it's pretty good. Anyway, Um all right. Anything else? Anything else you want to cover on uh season one, episode five of Mindhunter?
1: Nope. I think next time we'll come back and see the finality of uh Benji and uh see what they're looking for Al-tuna. next. Yep.
0: You know, but you know you, I guess the last thing I'll think of is like the show does a good job of leaving things vague. Like I like the way stuff isn't wrapped up with a bow, and I like the way that You know, even we're only in episode five of the first season, but like, you know, dealing with this stuff is you can see it starting to take a toll on them, right? Like it's upsetting and uh, it's difficult to think about and it creeps into their interactions with each other and their personal interactions. You know, like there's that great bit where, you know, Bill is sitting on his bed looking at the photos of Betty, you know, Beverly's mutilated corpse, you know, like it's that like you know holden takes the photos and then he's standing on he's sitting on his bed and like you know like if that's the last thing you see before you turn out the lights and go to bed like it's gonna have an effect on you yep anyway all right uh we'll be back next time uh for season one episode six